2: From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolfe, and this is Guilt. On the last episode of Guilt, who killed Jordan Vidori? When that good guy
1: was killed and we were peeping
3: at the back. Did we hear a shot or not? No. No, I'm sure I didn't either. I'm saying I
1: really can't remember it. And something like that I think I would remember.
2: Wow. Here we are in episode 10. When I released the first episode in November of 2021, I knew personally that this podcast was the most important single thing I'd ever created or been involved in. No stage or screen role has ever held such a level of significance for me and come with such a weight of responsibility. What started out as just me and a dream has grown into a team of thousands. Through your actions, be it just listening, telling friends, sharing or sending in new tips and leads, We've been able to breathe life into Jordan's case and help keep his memory alive. And this is what he deserved. I've been blown away by how many people Jordan affected, how many little memories he created and saddened by the gaping hole he left behind. To this point, you've showed your support silently and anonymously. However, now I'd like to give you the opportunity to show your support in person June 18th, 2022, will mark 10 years since Jordan's passing. So to mark this occasion, from lunchtime on June 18th, we're going to remember Jordan with a shot of uzo at 1pm. This was his favourite drink. At his memorial site, behind Arkwright's Antiques in Pido. It's a chance to meet myself and others involved in this podcast, and also to share the fond memories you have of Jordan or perhaps just to pay your respects privately. Coromandel FM will be setting up their mobile site and will be broadcasting from the location. At 3am of that morning, we will be releasing the final episode of this season of guilt, which will break down all the facts we've covered and finally introduce a new theory as to what I believe happened to Jordan that fateful morning. For all the details of this memorial, You can go to our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ, my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, or our website, TheGuiltPodcast.com. I hope to see you all there. And with that, episode 10, the penultimate episode. Let's get into it. As you can probably imagine, I get a lot of tips. While I give every tip the time it deserves, There are some which only a brief amount of investigation proves are obviously not credible. These are normally one-off, out-of-the-blue type leads. Most of the tips I get, you never even hear about. However, the ones that really stick out to me are when I have multiple tips come in, focusing on the same theory or person. These ones I have to pay some attention to. And there seems to be one particular rumour or name that occupies the private corners of pubs and garages of Pydar. For the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to refer to this person as John. The first tip I received about John piqued my interest, but didn't hold a lot in the way of fact. These are their words, not their voice. Sometime after
0: Jordan's murder, John had apparently left for Australia. He's a loose weapon. He came back and was working in a farm job, and it's around then... Uh, pub talk, I, I think that someone had thrown his name out there. Don't get me wrong, they're a good, well-respected family, but John's the wild card, and I don't know how he could be involved, but one of those names that keeps
2: getting thrown around. After I got this tip, I put it in my I'll look at this later, but I've got more important leads pile, and moved on. And there it sat, until recently I received a phone call from an existing source, saying they had someone who wanted to speak to me privately off the record. They knew who was involved in Jordan's murder, but would only meet in person. I was given a time and an address, and a few days later, I was swinging open a large gate. Hello? I won't deny. Arriving at an unknown property with a large gate and a dog with a big bark can be quite unsettling, but it was the right place and I lived to tell the tale. But unfortunately, the source wished to keep the entire interview off the record for what she perceived to be her own safety. As a result, I wasn't able to accurately record word for word what she said but I've paraphrased this conversation for you, where it will be read by an actor. Upon entering her home, she was visibly nervous about speaking, and was genuinely scared for her safety. Remember, this is a person who had told me she knew who killed Jordan, so as you can imagine, I was on the edge of my seat. I asked her why she contacted me, and how she felt John was involved in Jordan's death.
0: Okay, uh, the reason I contacted you is that I've known this for a long time, and when I listened to the podcast, I thought it was time I shared this to hopefully um, bring justice for Jordan. I've known John for years, although not so much anymore. I'd consider him a good guy, but it's my belief that himself and others in his circle were involved in Jordan's death. I can't say who actually pulled the trigger, but that John was definitely involved. I know this because I specifically heard them speaking about it at a place they used to hang out. They don't know, but I heard they spoke of uh, taking Jordan for a boot ride where he was shot before being dropped back where he was found. My understanding is the reason they did this was because Jordan had done something he shouldn't have, and this was payback. If they find out I was uh, speaking to you, I think they'd take care of me too.
2: Wherever you're sitting right now, you're probably thinking, wow, this is a bombshell moment. Case closed, right? Hmm... Maybe not. Winding up this interview, I had significant doubts. These were some big claims. And immediately, I recognised some flaws in this theory. The most obvious being that Jordan was shot at the scene of the crime. The bullet entering Jordan's chest into his heart, causing a wound that resulted in death within a matter of seconds. The bullet casing for this shot was found right there at the scene of the crime. So if Jordan were indeed taken in a vehicle they would have been taking a body, which doesn't make any sense. But nonetheless, I decided to reach out to John through social media and ask if he'd be willing to speak to me regarding rumours around town. To my surprise, he got straight back to me. He'd be more than happy to speak. So we arranged a time and I drove down to Paidoa to meet him. Okay, today uh, in Paedoa and uh, I've got two big interviews today. Um, there's a a particular rumour that I've run into a couple times um, involving a guy by the name of John and a couple people have come forward with similar sort of rumours about him maybe having some kind of involvement or something and um, you know with this stuff I think generally you're better to just go straight to the source and so that's what I did, I managed to find him on Facebook and um, he agreed to meet with me and have a chat on the surface straight away. He said that, nah, it's bullshit. He thought Jordan was a great guy. Um, But yeah, so we're going to go have a chat and we're actually going to go out to, he said, his brother's place, I suppose for his own reassurance um, for the interview and probably a wise thing to do. So yeah, we're heading out into the Karengahak Hills and um yeah in other circumstances I might have thought it was a bit sketchy to come out here by myself but I'm pretty confident that this is going to be fine so yeah we'll see what happens um I'm sure it'll be an interesting interview either way but the fact that he's interested to talk to me happy to you know it's kind of alleviating some of my fears here but still um you know you really you need to tick all the boxes here so um yeah let's see what happens At John's request, I meet him in Pydar and follow him out of town, into the hills of the Karangahaki Gorge. I know what you're probably thinking. Dude, maybe not your smartest moment. At one point, I actually thought we were turning into an abandoned quarry, which was a tad unsettling. But we continue to wind our way through the bush, before finally pulling into a tree-lined property, backing onto some farmland. For this interview, we're meeting at John's brother's, and it's very much a man's man's kind of a setup A very nice muscle car in one large shed, and a separate man cave building that's basically a functioning bar with fridges, pool table, and leaners. No doubt it's seen a good night or two. We grab a stool each at a nearby leaner. For the interview, John requested that his brother be present, basically as moral support. They've both been listening to the podcast thus far, and their only concern is that making sure John's side of the story is told fairly. John's a young-looking 41, NZ European, dressed in a beanie and casual clothes we might expect of a farmer. He looks like the kind of guy I could go to the pub and have a beer with. We make some idle chit-chat, and then I ask John about his background in Paeirao. Tell me about yourself a little bit. You guys obviously from Paidoa. No. Like.
3: Yeah, yeah, uh, born and raised, the whole family. Um, kind of been back and forth to different places, uh, you yeah, know, South Island, Australia and what have you. Uh, yeah, spent, spent my whole life in Pyro here. Good place, never used to appreciate it, um, you know, as a youngster. But, yeah, no, I want to change it. Um, I've just been farming most of my life and just you uh, kind of to in between jobs here and there. Yeah, I went to Australia back when I was a lot younger for... I think roughly a couple of years. Mucked around for a bit and uh, came back here, back to farming, and yep. then most recently Sydney for about three years, and then just back here, you know, no, no place like home, family, and that, so kind of great. When, take back. When did you go to Sydney? Oh, I mean, I'll have um, details somewhere that I could tell you,
2: but yeah, i would probably say
3: 2017,
2: 16 maybe. And so going back, I guess we might as well cut to the chase so obviously Jordan it's almost 10 years ago yeah. how would you say like when you were going through school and stuff were you a bit of a sort of loose I've heard like the term sort of bit of a loose unit <laughs> is that what would, yeah. would you say that's would you say that's accurate yeah you could say loose unit um, <laughs> just probably more of a standard issue just
3: a bit too eager to make stupid decisions and be a, the class clown you know what I mean yeah but um yeah I've wised up since then but yeah definitely definitely back when I was youngster just uh bit of trouble nothing Yeah, you know. sort of the black
2: sheep but not the black sheep you know yeah no. yeah, yeah, the character just standard the
3: character issue uh, <laughs> standard issue troublemaking I yeah. guess yeah certainly nothing above that
2: so nothing you would, <laughs> nothing you wouldn't say too serious no no not at all no. okay yeah I suppose I've heard um heard some, I've heard some some yarns there's one I heard yeah. about there's something to do with a knife and a party or something like that is there any have you heard about this I'd been told a particularly scary story, in which John apparently drove a knife through a person's leg at a party as a joke. To be honest, it was this story which made me a bit hesitant initially driving out to meet him alone, so I was very interested to see what truth there was to this. A
3: knife at a party that might be referring to, was that a friend of mine, her name was uh, Lizzie, she lived down Station Road there. And there was a bloke, he was a friend of ours, and we had a f- uh, fair bit to drink. And I went to crash out, and he just, he, he was on and on and on. I said, Oh, come on, man, enough's enough. I said, You keep going at me. There was like an ornamental um, battle axe in the ring. <laughs> I was just stuck around being silly. I said, Oh, come on, man. You don't stop, oh, you know, yada yada. But he, uh, yeah, so I, I, I picked it up foolishly. Um, Swung it at him jokingly at his
2: leg, and just grazed him, So that's oh, probably the. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I imagine that's what it is. It's not quite what I heard, but yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, that's good. Um, What'd you hear? Just oh, I just there. yeah, I heard it's apparently you know at a party and you like plunged a knife into some guy's leg or something like this.
3: No, definitely not that one. And I
2: thought that sounded pretty heavy, but yeah, a battle axe sounds more reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't even supposed to happen. I thought, oh, surely he's just gonna
3: call it quits and head elsewhere, but.
2: No, it wasn't a major anyway, you yeah, know, we, yeah. we can talk and
3: have a beer, um, have a chat and a beer yeah, yeah. today, but okay. certainly don't recall lunging a knife yeah. <laughs> blokes
2: there. A big part of the rumour surrounding John's apparent involvement in Jordan's death is that there were multiple perpetrators and that they were all friends. I asked John how he would describe the type of people he used to hang out with in those days. Kind of how would you describe the crowd of people that you sort of hung around with at the time? Uh, probably just... Drinkers I guess eh? There's, you know, uh,
3: In New Zealand We've got a pretty bad uh, Binge drinking culture and you know, I'm no stranger to it But uh, Yeah to describe my mates Probably just Hermits I guess they're not really Socialites That you know Enjoy the drinks And just music um, yeah, Standard issue I guess But not like Violent people or anything Nah like that. nah nah Not by no. a long shot I, I, I usually um, Oh Turn away and kind of gravitate elsewhere um, from those type of people if I can. It's best I can. Yeah. Yeah. I'm certainly not tied up with anybody that's questionable regarding uh, violence or extreme
2: violence. Yeah, definitely not. Too much trouble. He's not wrong. New Zealand is well known for its binge drinking culture. A standard Friday and Saturday would look something like this in 90% of small towns throughout New Zealand. A garage way too many drinks and excessively loud music into the wee hours and more often than not throw in a few scraps for good measure. So John's description of his friends isn't ringing any alarm bells but I also can't exactly expect him to throw them under the bus either. Do you remember um, back when when Jordan was shot? Do you remember where you were sort of that around that time, that day? Like, Can you remember when it happened? Unfortunately fortunately for me I was with uh, yeah
3: a woman I uh, would rather do not have been with yeah you, but um you don't I was still on, I, no, no. on anything <laughs> else <laughs> 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 yeah. I was still in pyro here but um yeah and I was staying up where was I uh, Eli's old pair.
2: yeah Arrany Road Arrany Road
3: there yeah uh, and just yeah chilling out with her for the night had a couple drinks um so she was well technically my alibi I guess you could say but um And we woke up to the news. There's been something happened at the pizza shop, and then
2: more details were revealed, and turned out to be Jordan. Yeah. So so that night you were just with with her, just doing what you were doing, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Um, Did at any (laughs) at any point did the police ever talk to you? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I went to the police station.
3: A couple of friends of mine did. Um, they were pretty much just uh, anybody of interest they kind of cast the net out far and wide and talked to all their friends and family so yeah I was no different there um, yeah they executed a search warrant at my house um, over the Jordan case um, didn't find a great deal and had a, had one or two follow me around but that's just because I was um, unfortunately catapulted close to the, you know, um, other suspects, um, but yeah, they didn't really hang around for a bit. But as soon as they uh, kind of realised they were chasing their own tails, um, I pretty much didn't hear from them again. So yeah, um, it was um, the for well, a couple of days, eh? Yeah, roughly. I've, I've, yeah. Yeah. Just I think just while the case was fresh and they kind of didn't know
2: who to look at, they were just honing in on uh, any name that was thrown at them. In any case, there's normally a reason why police will look at someone in the early days, perhaps past history, a close acquaintance, or very often, a tip from a member of the public. It's no secret that in any murder investigation, the police are flooded with tips in the early hours, and these early hours are statistically very important in helping solve a crime. So if a tip comes in, directly pointing the finger at someone, Often the police don't have time to thoroughly investigate the source of the tip, but just have to take it at face value for time's sake. In John's case, it was a questionable tip that resulted in the police pointing the magnifying glass at him in these early hours. I had a an old mate of mine. Kind of, we had a falling out,
3: and he did me no favours, and kind of told the cops a couple of funky little things that didn't really add up either, and they kind of took that and ran with it,
2: but. Once again, chased their own tail and found yeah. nothing. So, what can I ask you? What the sort of funky things that he sort of said? Did he sort of put you in the spot a bit? Yeah, we sort of. He kind of when they were talking
3: about the um, twenty-two regarding the weapon for yeah. Jordan, I think he kind of, well, as far as I can recall, he dropped my name and said I had a twenty-two or something like that, which I did not. So, I think he was just kind of out for.
2: a little bit of revenge and probably a little bit of reward money yeah they? there was really reward should. money at the time and he was from what I recall he was trying to get
3: the reward money yeah. they should have actually followed him up further and kind of done him if they can I don't know if you mm. for false mm. yeah well it's quite easy to shoot yourself in the foot if you're gonna, um, you are kind of you know you're familiar with the case and all the rest and you you've had nothing to do with it obviously but then you if you Word something wrong, it can yeah, certainly yeah, be, uh, yeah, yeah, throw you, throw you in the shit there. But mm. nah, I was, look I was like, I told uh, yourself and everybody else, I was, a, I was a big fan of Jordan, yeah. You know, my boy was too. Shit, mm. my boy would have been I don't know, five, six at the time.
2: Mm. I mean. What can you remember of them? I guess, you go there and get pizzas and stuff? Yeah, the pizzas for sure,
3: and the, the pastas, um, and yeah. Just a, uh, freebies for my boy, you know, you'd um, often get the chips for free, and that uh, was just a good place,
2: yeah. Hard yeah. to replicate once, yeah. yeah. People still talk about it, I eh? yeah, yeah. wish it was still open, kind of wish that shop was still yeah. open, yeah. Still, it's crazy. especially when apparently you could still go in at like midnight sometimes and get something, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Good when you've been at the pub, yeah, it was brilliant, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that European sort of influence, so eh? yeah. I asked John about the rumours and how that affected him personally. I kinda I kinda shook the rumours anyway. I thought yep. if the rumours had any
3: substance to them I, I might be worried. Yeah. But um, you know, often small town situations people just sometimes have a tendency to talk nonsense just for the sake of having something to do on a Sunday, kind of yep. thing, you know, but No, it was I shake most of it off. I haven't really heard a great deal about myself aside from you know, my mate kinda doing me a disservice with the cops regarding the Twenty-two situation, yeah,
2: nothing really. happened. no, I, I sort of thought being a small town, you know, it works good ways and bad ways. Yeah. And like when you got um, the warrant done, and and that, I thought, oh, here we go, the rumour was going to go out yeah. and be ballistic, you know, because I, I turned up there when the cops turned up there with him, and then I picked them up after being at the cop shop, and yes. I noticed, I'm like, these cops are following someone, and I'm like, some. <laughs> And I thought, oh, here we go. This is uh, the rumours going to start. You know, great because we all, we're all sort of well known in town, um, whether for good or bad. Um, and just nothing came of it. That was it, which was really good. Yeah, yeah I thought, oh, here we go. You're know, going to have to sit here and defend yeah. that, and there's just nothing at yeah. all. Yeah. Unfortunately, in this case, the fact that I'm sitting having this interview shows that at least to some extent, the rumours are still there. The reality is, people are more likely to talk about you. Than to you. Like, you can say, hand on heart, no one you know or you, any involvement in anything to do with Jordan's death or anything. Yeah, well, I'm pretty, I, I, I kind of pride myself on the old
3: body language, and I was if I was hanging around people that had recently committed murder, I'm, you, you know, you can pick up yeah. the signals. Shortly, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I was quite shocked with how close I came to um, everything, being yeah. catapulted almost to the top of the inquiry list, that I'm thinking the fuck did I convince everybody that I had nothing to do with <laughs> talking, killing poor old there? <laughs> some people were like oh no look you wouldn't have done it even mum actually um, when the cops were following me around she sat me down she goes you had nothing to do with this for eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck's sake was oh, she goes it's just that last couple of weeks you've looked a bit shit you know you look shitty and you look depressed and all the
2: rest
3: All. I wish I could offer you more man But in all seriousness yeah. There's yeah. just fuck all I can deliver And mm. the, the rumours are just Exactly that Rumours Silly yeah.
2: shit God, they'd Silly be a, shit said by silly they'd people There'd be a fucking town party If they were found Oh Got someone for it mate i tell you yeah. it'd be fucking so good It's coming funny. up 10 years And
3: yeah I remember one of the cops When I was coming back From the police station too He was a fucking He was a real pushy cunt eh? He goes We pulled into the bakehouse His mate was grabbing something he leans over, me, leans over to me in the back seat and he goes mate holding on to something like this it's uh, it's big you know he goes <laughs> he goes I um, I was speaking to a, a bloke um, not so long ago he fucking broke down and he, he actually said that he felt better after it I said I'm not telling you fucking anything because I didn't do anything <laughs> but this guy was adamant I was like right then and there about to be like alright fuck i have mates come around for a coffee what are you doing Cops are chasing me around.
2: Oh, hey, you're
0: a bad motherfucker.
3: Can I get a selfie?
2: A bad motherfucker. For sure. I'd certainly be cautious around ornamental battle axes, and it might be wise to hide your girlfriend around John. But was he involved in Jordan's murder? No. He's since provided me with the name of the girl he was with that night, and it checks out. The reason I've included this interview and this lead, is because I know for many locals, John's name has always been hovering around when it comes to theories on Jordan's murder. And when I started this podcast, my goal was to remove the rumour. And I'm very confident after meeting John, that he has no connection. I can only surmise that through no one's fault, a conversation has been misheard or misconstrued in some way, which has then over time morphed into the story I heard. I wrap up my interview and make my way back down through the winding hills of the Karangahaki Gorge and across the bridge. The Murray River cascades below. It really is stunning. An easy place to get rid of a weapon, I think, as I cross the bridge. The sun is quickly going down though, and I still have one more interview today. This is an interview I've been hoping for since the beginning of the podcast. Initially, she'd declined to be formally interviewed, but over time became more open to the idea. Until recently, she finally said yes. Her name is Tatiana, and one of the main reasons she had declined was that even now, almost 10 years after Jordan's death, it was still too raw for her. She had been a huge part of the running of Mykonos Pizza, and almost considered Jordan a father figure. Our initial place for the interview had to be changed last minute, so we meet at the famous Alan P. Calf at the northern end of Paedoa, which is well worth a visit if you're on your way through but I apologise for the background noise. Tatiana is still only in her mid-twenties, despite the fact that Jordan's death was almost ten years ago. She's slim, pretty, and carries herself with a warmth and friendliness. I get the sense that, despite her small stature, this is a girl that grew up quickly and doesn't suffer a fall. I know this interview is going to be hard for her, and I can already sense the emotion hovering on the edges of her eyes. I can sense that general chat probably isn't her cup of tea at least not today so I get straight into it and ask her how she came to work at Mykonos for this interview Tatiana is supported by her mum who sits on the other side of the table and who also worked for Jordan for a time this interview is very emotional for both of them tell me about when how you came to work at Mykonos and
1: um well Mum, so my mum used to work with him as well, with Jordan, and before that, her sister, Jodie, worked with him as well, so it was almost like a family business. (laughs) As soon as he, like, my auntie um, was one of the first, well, one of his first staff, so, yeah, it was just kind of went, as soon as I, I think I was, like, not just gone 13 when I started in the kitchen with him, like, dishy, and then it just stuck, I was there. Probably three, four nights a week. Yeah. For, well, until the night before he died, yeah. Yeah.
2: How old were you when? when
1: uh, I was just 16. And, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, 16 and a half ish. It's oh, so. a good
2: work ethic for 16. <laughs> I thought i try think what I was doing. I was it was
1: 16. more about um, if you want things, you have to buy them yourself. So <laughs> go get a job. Yeah. So I started off like dishy, obviously, because yeah. I was underage. Um, and then it kind of worked I just worked my way from the sink through like <laughs> prep everything like that and then I can't remember what he did but he I think he burned himself or he cut his finger away when he was making it stupid shit outside yeah and sliced his finger open so there was no one to make pizzas So that was when he taught me how to basically do everything else. Like I was out the front making his pizzas for him, and it was, I was one of the only people he actually ever showed how to make his pizza. Well, yeah. Yeah, and that was only with his eyes. (laughs) I would be like, nope, that's too much. Nope, that's not enough. Nope, you're not doing it right. And I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) But yeah, so by the end of it, I was, I could do everything in there. Yeah.
2: So when you say he had a bandsaw outside, because so, he actually had like a, basically like a Oh, work,
1: uh, I wouldn't call it a workshop. <laughs> it was just a pile of shit. Making pieces for the Yeah, just when he was bored, he'd go and make shit <laughs> and cut things and, yeah, find something that he liked part of, so he'd just cut the rest of it off. <laughs> it was, yeah,
2: it was a mess. Jordan was well-known to be very hands-on. In terms of making pieces of furniture and other bits and pieces for the restaurant. And as he lived directly above the store, his workshop, so to speak, was right out the back of the shop. So it was commonplace to see him tinkering away on something out the back. You know, how would you describe Jordan's character if you were going to? Ah. Uh. I oh, know, that's of right. Take your time. Tatiana's eyes suddenly well with tears. She turns to look out the window. The emotion of Jordan's loss, even after all these years, is still so present. Personally, it's a very difficult thing to ask questions you know will bring pain, and it doesn't get any easier.
1: Yeah, he was... I went through a lot of shit, and he was always there. I don't know if you know, but um, my son's name, he's three heads. his name's Jordan. Yeah, so, I mean, that says it really. Yeah. Yeah.
2: By the sounds of it, by the end, you were almost kind of running the place.
1: Yeah, oh, he would never agree to that. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if there was ever, well, there was a few times where he would have to go and do things and he'd be... Go and open the shop, we'll be back in an hour or I'll be you know. It was I just we just knew each other, so he trusted me and I don't know if that was a really a good thing, but yeah,
2: it is And he had did he have that sort of like, you know, like that European like Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah he was crazy. Like <laughs> honestly if I met him in the street I would have thought he was just like something not quite right. Because <laughs> he was just always so full of energy and like I can count on one hand the amount of times I saw him upset like he was always happy he was just
2: he's that person if he saw someone upset he, yeah. would, he would make them happy
1: yeah. oh I mean I had my fair share of growling but yeah it was always with the best intentions like yeah. there was, wasn't a bad bone in his body
2: um, Because he was obviously pretty well known for giving pizzas and things to...
1: Yeah. Oh, he could be anything if he needed it. And if he believed you needed it, it, whether it was food or, like, anything. People walk in off the street and see a hat that they liked, and he'd be like, yep, take it. Like, you know, just a stranger. He just... He didn't care. That shop was never about making money for him. Like, it was just what he loved. And he loved people, he loved food. He just did it because that's what he loved it was never a money making scheme the amount of staff we had just because someone walked in the door and said oh I really need a job and it's like yep okay start tomorrow and we're all standing in the back like we're the ones that are going to have to train these people they're probably going to last a week but he'd give them a chance
2: yeah Tatiana reiterates the same story I've heard again and again throughout this podcast Jordan would literally give someone the shirt off his back if they needed it I asked her to take me back to that weekend. Take me back to that, you know, that weekend.
1: Um, so I worked, I think it was a Sunday, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then I worked the Sunday night. And funnily enough, actually, um, it was something that came up with the police the next day. My partner at the time we were having like a huge argument till kind of three or four o'clock in the morning and um, he, it was about seven, quarter past seven I think and um, he rang me and he said something's something's wrong Um, and he'd gone for a walk um, in that, that morning and he'd walked past the street kind of like where his memorial place is, he'd walked along the main street and seen that there was police officers and stuff down there and he said, oh I think something's happened, there's a lot of cops at the back of Jordan's workplace. And I was still in bed and I got out, I was still in my pyjamas and I walked out to my mum and I said, I, I need to take the van, something's, something's happened to Jordan. Um, and I got in the car and I drove like the back road by the, the main area and I stopped kind of on the corner where the funeral directors was because there was cops everywhere and there's a cop waving me over and they said oh you can't be here, it's the a crime scene," and so I got out of the van and out of the van and walked to they'd take the end of the the end of the road off and there he was he was lying on the ground
2: I want to pause for a moment so you can take a breath and imagine how difficult this moment must have been for a 16 year old Tatiana Imagine yourself in that situation, to see the vivacious, seemingly larger than life man you loved as a father figure, lying lifeless on the ground. My heart goes out to her in this moment, a moment which no doubt became a snapshot, which has burned into her memory and been painfully replayed many times in the last 10 years.
1: And so from there, I just like rang my mum and all of our kind of like well, our work family, and just told them what had happened, and they all came down to um, where the fire station is, and it's kind of just a blur from that.
2: At that time, were the police sort of talking? To Doing nothing? That they know who you were. They had
1: to. So we were told. So he was still visible when I got there, um, and it was, I think it was about 7.30, maybe 8 o'clock-ish, but I just remember because the kids were all, they'd started walking to school, and obviously walking down the main street, but they couldn't get, uh, I don't know, when you have murders and that kind of stuff, they have to have like the white tent that they put over the body so they can do the investigation and that kind of stuff, and they had to wait for someone or for a team to come from Hamilton or Auckland or somewhere like quite far away, and I swear it was at least two hours before they actually had him covered so people like so he wasn't visible to the public. It was, yeah, it felt like such a long time. And the cop, the police just kept saying, like, you know, we can't, nobody can go in there, we're just here to cordon off the perimeter until all these people can get here to do what they need to do. It took them, I think, almost half the day before his kids and... They hold, yeah, they found his brothers. And yeah. Probably, which was but we weren't allowed to say anything to anybody. It had to be from a, like, an officer. Um, but even, like, there was... Um, what do you call them? Reporters there before his family were even told. It was just ridiculous. And then, yeah, we were in... Oh, we went home and had a counsellor show up at the house, eh? And then we were called into the police station um, individually. Over, I think I spent probably about 24 hours over the next three days in, in the police station, yeah. And a lot of it was just asking the same questions over and over and over and over again. I guess maybe, you know, when you've done something wrong, people change their story, but it just seemed so heartless at the time they were just scratching, they had no idea, like I mean I I was accused because I like I said I was having that argument with my partner at the time um, and it was one of the first things the detective said to me well we've got your phone records and we can see you exchanging messages from the time of one thirty to 3am 3, um, 3 why were you awake what were you, who were you talking to, what were you, what were you talking about at that time in the morning and I was like You must know, like you know, as I told them the story about my partner, my ex partner, and they were like, "Oh, it just seems a little bit um, coincidental that you happen to be having a dispute at that time in the morning." And I'm like, "I'm a 16 year old girl, firstly, like, um, and secondly, how dare you?" It's not a good way to
2: make a rapport with like a potential witness to. But every
1: single person that I spoke to that was interviewed by the police was either accused of. Being involved with Jordan, gross, or having something to do with his death. I mean, they questioned me about my mother and about my father, like about their marriage, their relationship, if my mother was having an affair with Jordan. And I was like, but it, I mean, it's out of town. Is, Cops know nothing about anybody they're speaking to or or the situation. It couldn't possibly be that everybody just loved him and something just went wrong.
2: The initial investigation into Jordan's murder was a joint effort between an outside special task force type unit and to some extent the local police. Now, we've all seen this scenario play out on TV before. Big city cops swoop into a small town murder and struggle to make a connection with the local population. It seems that Jordan's case was no different. I can understand that there is a tightrope they need to walk. On one hand, they want to keep people cooperative. But at the same time, they want to apply just enough pressure so as not to let people get too comfortable, on the hope they might slip up. But small towns are a different beast. People aren't as trusting of outsiders, particularly when they start accusing you of murder. I don't know what level of cooperation there was between local and the special task force, but it seems as though in the early hours, crucial man hours may have been lost chasing people that the local police would likely have known were not going to be involved in Jordan's murder. I want to stress here, I'm not anti-police, I'm not saying they did a poor job, but I've heard this same story from many people. And it does make you wonder about the efficacy of an outside unit taking complete control of a small-town case in these crucial early hours. I asked Tatiana about Jordan's neighbours, in particular Linda, and how much she saw of her and the people coming and going from her store. Um, what did you... Linda next door and her going on? like? Did you really... I suppose you probably didn't see her much or...?
1: Uh, I saw her often enough. I mean, we've always... I- I'm from here. I'm yeah. like born in Thames, been raised here my whole life, pretty much. So I've always known who she was and that she was a bit strange, but there was never any problems. I think her and Jordan have had like disputes about because he had a few cars out the back, his car parked in her spot and all that kind of stuff. But otherwise, she was just the neighbour. Yeah, yeah. She'd come over and order pizzas every now and then. Yeah. Otherwise, she was yeah fairly quiet.
2: Um, Linda's store, I understand that she sort of didn't really take people through the front, like they'd go through the back. Yeah, her front was
1: quite often closed, um, the front of her shop. But, I mean, we had, most of the time, especially when the shop was open, uh, the shop was closed, sorry, unless he was outside, his big gates were usually like closed and padlocked. Um, so, other than the freezer like the meat being taken out of that freezer. We never really had problems out there. And there was never, other than delivery people, and half of them came to the front door anyway for some reason, um, there wasn't people out the back that we saw.
2: We know that Jordan had a love of gambling, the horses, and betting on dogs. I asked Tatiana about this, and if he ever showed any stress related to this gambling.
1: He, was, he loved his horses, yep. and his dogs, and his... Lottos his scratchies his lotto. Yeah. <laughs> that was what we would get for Christmas oh, every yeah. year it was scratch I mean, at fourteen years, fifteen years old he'd be buying me scratchies and lotto tickets for yeah. Christmas birthdays. Um, but it was never he never seemed stressed about it, you know, yeah. like it didn't ever seem like he was spending an excessive amount of money. It was just something that he enjoyed doing. He just liked it. Yeah. yeah.
2: So far in my research to date, I'm going to agree with the police. Jordan loved to bet on the horses or gambling in general, but I can't find any evidence that it was anything more than just casual, and nothing that might be considered serious. As we progress through our interview, we tick off different points the podcast has touched, and different theories, and I can tell that there's an element of frustration with Tatiana, that there really just isn't anything that specifically stands out. Other than the earlier stated arguments between Gareth and Jordan in the kitchen, there really is nothing that comes to mind. But this leads me to one last question for the interview. And ironically, this was one of the first questions I had when I started this investigation. Who robbed Jordan's freezers? I asked her if she ever spoke to Jordan about his freezers being robbed. I think I might have missed you about that. You didn't know anything specifically. Nah. Did You, you never talk to Jordan about that? No. Nah. It's probably just a coincidental... But you'd have to know to know that those freak. Because I've seen they were right round...
1: Yeah, they were right in the back of the shop. It's really unfortunate that the place burned down, actually, because you would have been able to get a much clearer view of kind of where everything was before um, they redid the shop.
2: Just to clarify, the building that was formerly Mykonos Pizza tragically burned down July 2019. The fire is not believed to be connected to Jordan's murder.
1: But there was, like, you had to go... So his car was always parked in the back behind the shop with like probably a car space behind it between the back of the car and the shop where there was freezers yeah. and like we'd sit and have our brakes and we had all this wood shit and yeah. all that other stuff but in front of that car was a gate like a yeah, big okay. that big it's like well, 12 foot tall oh, right. gate so and that was the one that was closed most of the time because so there was that gate and then the gate at right, the entrance so there's a whole
2: separate
1: yeah so did he somebody. used to padlock that one as well?
2: Both
1: of them, yeah. Hmm. I mean not all the time, but most of the yeah. time, yeah. Because we would leave through the front door. Yeah. Like we wouldn't we, even when we finished work, we wouldn't go out the back, we'd always he because we weren't allowed to go out in the dark by ourselves. So we'd have to go out the front door. So it had to be somebody that knew exactly where they were going and exactly how to get in.
2: You know, it's that's one, that's one of those things, you know, is it just a complete coincidence that it happened? Yeah. A
1: complete coincidence that you managed to get into a gate that is usually padlocked twice. Actually, I think it might have been three times. I know it was definitely twice, without being seen.
2: With that, we say our goodbyes and wrap up the interview. It's been an emotional afternoon, and I'm extremely grateful Tatiana decided to share her piece of the story. While it didn't provide me with any breakthroughs in the case, I felt it was important to really show a heartfelt side to this story, and I wanted you to feel some of that love that a close-knit few like Tatiana had for Jordan. He really was everything everyone says he was. Everyone loved him. He didn't have any enemies. So why? Why kill the pizza man? Does the answer to this question lie in my final question to Tatiana? Were Jordan's freezers being robbed connected to his murder? Or just a random coincidence? In the feature-length final episode of Season 1 of Guilt, I'm going to investigate this possibility, recap all the known aspects of the investigation so far, and introduce new witnesses. And finally, I'm going to present my theory on what happened to Jordan and why. All this in the final episode of Guilt, Who Killed Jordan Vidori to be released June 18th, 2022. Guilt is written, produced and edited by me, Ryan Wolf. The title track is Jukebox by Patrick Patricios. Opinions of guests of this podcast are just that and are not the opinions of the podcast itself. For further information and daily updates on the case, you can find us on Facebook at Brevity Studios NZ or follow me on Instagram at Ryan Wolf NZ. If you'd like to pay your respects to Jordan, we invite you to join us for a shot of Uzo at the site of Jordan's Memorial behind Arkwright's Antiques in Paido at one PM on june eighteenth, twenty twenty two. We hope to see you there.